As we come now before the Word of God, please turn in your Bibles to the book of James. In chapter 1, we will almost get to the end of this chapter this morning. And we'll be here in James chapter 1. But before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, would you open our eyes that we would behold the wondrous things of your law? Would you open our ears that we would hear the beauty of your ways? Give us eyes here to see you, ears here to hear you, and hearts to believe you. Would you plant this now deep in us? that we would joyfully obey and follow you as Lord of all of our lives. We ask your Spirit's help now. Guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is James in chapter 1. I'll start here in verse 19 and read almost to the end. James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed In his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This is the Word of God. Now, James has just come here from a previous section where he is talking about the issue of temptation. If you were here last week, you may remember that. There, specifically, he's addressing not just temptation itself, but the the source, the root of temptation, that temptation is not from God, but is mainly from our own desires that well up in us. So it's natural now in this next section that we've just read that James would move into specific sorts of temptation, specific desires that we might have. So he mentions a few examples here that we might categorize under the general umbrella of our, of our speech. And James is going to have plenty to say in this letter about our speech, particularly how our words intersect with things like quarrels, cursings, even our teachings. We'll address those things as we come to them. Today, though, we want to look at how our speech intersects with anger. 
how our speech intersects with anger. Boy, this is going to be a fun one. Um, We particularly will be looking at verse 19. Let me read it. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So we want to take some time to explore what that really means. Let me say up front before we start to dig into this that I know that different people have different temperaments, uh, different temptations, different personalities. Some of us may be more uh, prone to the temptation or struggle with anger than others of us might be, but this word is for everyone. He specifically says in this verse, let every person. He's talking to all of you. He's talking to me. He's talking to everyone within his hearing at this point. So even if you tend to be a quiet person, an observant person, a reserved person, this text is still a good word for you. It's good for all of us to take to heart here. The Lord intends to make this effective in each of us. So, whether you're quiet, loud, or otherwise, stick with me as we unpack this now here. Let's look particularly at what this word here in James says. James has given us, in this verse 19, has given us a triplet saying. That is, there are three clear parts that are kind of bound together to fit as one. And the style, the, the, the structure, and the content of the way he has said this has led some scholars, people who are way smarter and studied than me, some of them to conclude that these are probably not James's own words. They were probably a common proverb of his day. We have lots of these. We know what proverbs are like, little sayings, snippets of things, sort of like the, uh, you may remember this one, be kind, rewind. Even though I realize my kids will have no idea what that even means. Uh, Be kind, rewind, that's not even a thing anymore. That's fine. They'll have sayings and proverbs of their cultural day that I will have no idea, I'm sure, what they mean. Uh, But this word here is not just a snippet for for his own cultural day. Uh, James here has drawn out something of, uh, of wisdom, of a deep and timeless truth that would last for centuries. So whether or not this is something that James originated by his own hand and mind, or whether he borrowed it, that doesn't really matter for us. He's included a, this here as a true statement, so there's no damage to the holiness or the consistency of the scriptures either way. What we do know is that these words fit perfectly with, they, they dovetail with the wisdom that we hear in the Bible's book of Proverbs. Because Proverbs has a lot to say about our speech, particularly as it intersects with anger. So to help us understand better what James is talking about here, of characteristics of what a person who's slow to anger, what that person might be like, I want to turn to just a few Proverbs to help us think through this together. Oh, if I can find it. Let's look with, if you turn with me, if you'd like, Proverbs verse, uh, or chapter 15. We'll do just a few of these briefly. Proverbs 15, verse uh, 18. 
A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. We cannot pretend that our own emotional responses to things only impact ourselves. There is always an impact on the people around us. So when it comes to moments of strife, how we respond to that either escalates or de-escalates the situation. It either pours gas on the fire or it pours water on the fire. So a person who is slow to anger is making the strife quieter, not louder. In other words, we could say one who is slow to anger is peacemaking. There's one characteristic to flag in our minds. Let's keep going. Proverbs 16, uh, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So in this proverb, the writer is speaking about slowness to anger in terms of, of power now. That there's a sort of power here that's mightier even than taking over and storming a city, greater than military force, because one who is slow to anger rules not troops, rules not a city, but rules his own spirit. That is, he controls his anger, not his anger controls him. So one who is slow to anger is self-controlled. There's another. One more. There's plenty of other Proverbs we could look at. Just one more. 19. Proverbs 19, verse uh, 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. Hmm. In this one, we get a few things. We see the origin of slowness to anger, that slowness to anger is not because someone's afraid to make people mad. It's not because they're trying to please people, nor is it because they're so disconnected from people in situations that they don't even care enough about anything to feel strongly about it in the first place. The origin of the slowness to anger here is good sense. That is, wisdom, insight, an ability to see the bigger picture of what's going on. We also get here the effect of that good sense, that instead of anger over offenses, the one who is slow to anger overlooks the offense. Which means that even if the thing really is wrong, maybe even really, really wrong. One who is slow to anger will often let it go and not get entangled in it. So we could say one who is slow to anger is forgiving. Now, we might be able to see here a little better how these proverbs are pressing on all of us, 
not just the short-tempered ones among us. Because to be slow to anger is not just a passive thing we do. This is part of actively peacemaking, of actively self-controlling, of actively forgiving. But I don't know about you all, if, if you're anything like me in this, when I look at all of these traits kind of taken together as a bundle of general characteristics of someone who's slow to anger, all of them taken together just feels like a lot. <laughs> it feels like a lot to take in. You know, if there was only one of these traits, you know, if I, I pull out one, like, ooh, peacemaking, I, maybe I can start to wrap my mind around that. You know, I might be able to feel I'm making a little bit of progress if I'm only focusing on the one, and maybe there is some wisdom in focusing on just one at a time for a season. But if we take them as a whole, it feels like a really tall order to fill. This is especially difficult when anger becomes normalized. The wisdom in Ecclesiastes, I won't read it, but Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says, don't be quick to anger because anger lodges in the heart of fools. That anger makes its home in us. And once anger moves in, it's hard to get it to move out. It brings all its couches and dishes and forks and knives. This is true not only of individuals, but it's true of groups even. Whole cultures are prone to this. Um, I understand that there's some sort of big game happening today, I guess. Uh, I think. Um, is there a Super Bowl or something happening this afternoon? I, I don't know. I remember the game, watching the Super Bowl last year, and it was fun, and we ate lots of bean dip, and our girls and me even a little bit had not a whole lot of idea what's going on. I'm not a big football guy, but the Chiefs won, and it's very exciting, you know. And, and, and the 49ers and their fans, I'm sure, are very disappointed and upset that they lost. It's very natural. You know, everybody wants to win. But, you know, at the end of the game, the players line up in their, in their lines, and they walk past and slap hands. Good game, good game, good game. Okay, game's over. It was fun. Good time. Immediately after the game, my news feed was cluttered with outrage. So full of outrage, not about the game itself, but by a bunch of things that were kind of in and around the game. So I remember there was outrage about the tomahawk chop of the Chiefs, you know, how it's a cultural appropriation. There was outrage about the halftime headliners, whose names I won't uh, mention, but how, how their clothing and their dances were highly sexualized. Uh, there, was, there was outrage about the performance that featured kids singing in cages and how that was some sort of political statement, and some were outraged that it was too political, and some were outraged that it wasn't political enough. It was almost as if there was this sort of one-upping competition about whose outrage is more outrageous. And to be honest, I found myself getting outraged at the outrage. It's this swirling thing that began to lodge in me to swell up in me and had a, a sense of being taken over at losing my own self-control. 
Now, having mentioned these particular issues, I know some, maybe all of the things that people were upset about, some of them may be legitimate uh, things that we need to think about or address. I'm not saying they're not important, but, but circumstances like these make us want to justify our anger, to say, I'm right, so my anger is right. And that's usually wrong. There was an old uh, Puritan writer from the 17th century, I love the Puritans, uh, Thomas Manton. I know it's old writing, but this one sounds fresh, sounds relevant, sounds like it could have been written yesterday and from me even. This is what he writes about anger. He says this, anger is not to be trusted it's not as just and righteous as it appears to be. And of all the passions, we most often justify anger. Anger, like a cloud, blinds the mind and then rules it. So do not believe anger. People give credit to their passions, and that increases it. Anger is full of mistakes. It seems to be just and righteous when it does nothing to promote the righteous life that God desires. Passion is blind and cannot judge. It is furious and has no leisure to debate or consider. Ouch. That, that one gets me right in the gut. And this is right in line with what James is talking about here to us, that anger is not producing righteousness. Now, having said all that, there will be some people who will be quick to say or to recognize, wait a minute, Nathan, wait. God is angry sometimes. He even has really intense anger, hot wrath, hellish fire sometimes. You know, and don't we see Jesus get angry at the temple and flipping over tables even? What do you do with that? That's true. The Lord's angry sometimes, and he's always righteous and good when he is angry. But James is not talking about the anger of God here. He's talking about the anger of man. He's talking about the anger of you. So be careful equating your anger with God's. Someone might come back again, you know, and say, but aren't there times when the anger of man can be right? Yes. That's true, too. You may notice James says, be slow to anger. He doesn't say never be angry. He says be slow to anger. He's giving us general wisdom principles here. So anger here, according to the scripture here and other places, anger can technically be fitting even, even for us. But don't fool yourself into thinking that your anger is usually righteous. I'd venture to guess that for you, for me also, I'm no exception to this, that nine times out of ten, probably closer to something like 99 times out of 100, 
99 times out of 100 that, of the times that we are angry, it is not righteous anger. Paul talks about in Ephesians how we should be careful of our anger because it can give an opportunity to the devil. That's not something we want to embrace. So do not jump to defend your anger. Instead, go on the offensive against your own anger. Test it. Examine it. Be suspicious of it, even. So that if there ever is a time when it is right for anger, you will be prepared and slow to it. Now, that was almost a long treatise about anger. We'll keep that where it is. But here's where the sermon needs to take a hard left turn. Whoop. Oh, not at you. Not pointing, not singling you out over here, Rebecca. Just a hard, just a hard left turn in general, okay? So far, most of what I, I have said here falls into the realm of sound advice, biblical wisdom. And so many of the things that I've said here are things that Christians and non-Christians even might agree upon. We would disagree about the way that slowness to anger comes about, that the Christian says that those who are saved uh, by Jesus from the guilt of sin are also saved from the reign of sin. That is, sin affects us, but it is not our master. And, and that Jesus also gives us his spirit to strengthen us, to put away sin. These are good things. This is how we're able to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. So there's a difference there, I suppose. But, but Christians and non-Christians generally, if you ask them, would agree that to be slow to anger is a good thing. Whether you know Jesus or not, most people can recognize James's wisdom in saying that it's good to learn to bridle your tongue. Most people would rather be a person who is peacemaking and self-controlled and forgiving than being known as a person who's just angry. And I think most people from experience, whether from others or within ourselves, can tell that a person who is fueled by outrage will only burn out themselves. I think many of us recognize this. So there's a broader wisdom here that James, as far as I can tell, does intend that sort of broader application. But there's also a particular use of this proverbial wisdom here. And this particular use is something that a non-Christian would reject, but for Christians, this is vital for our lives. What is it? What do I mean? We need to ask some questions of this little triplet proverb, like this. Let every person be quick to hear what? Quick to hear what? Everything? Anything, anything in particular? We need to be slow to speak in reference to, to what? Uh, slow to anger when? Are these just all the time or are we talking about something in particular? Yes, he is talking about a particular occasion here. What he's talking about is the relationship of these things to the word. Specifically, he's talking about the scriptures 
the word of God. So we would be quick to hear the word, slow to speak over the word, slow to anger in regard to the word. Let me read some of the broader context and you'll hear it probably now that I've cued you into it. Back up to verse 18, let me read again. Listen for the discussion of the word. Verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this then, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. I could go on, but he's talking here broadly about the word, which means that this little triplet in James is good for our general daily interactions, but it's particularly good, especially in reference to our relationship to the word, which means this. As we come to God's word, we want to be quick to hear and slow to speak. That is, that we're eager to attend, willing to submit to it, coming before it with our head bowed, to not talk over the word, to tell God's word what he ought to have said here. So the way that we come before the word of God is similar to the posture that we come before the temple of God. The author of Ecclesiastes talks about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse uh, 1. He says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they don't know that they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So as we come here to the word of God, we want to hush ourselves come with the posture of listening and not speaking. Now, that then brings up the question of what do we make of the third part of the triplet? That is, to be slow to anger. What does that mean in reference to the word? Some people may have contact with the Bible in a way that could never even possibly cause an inkling of anger. That is, they may read it as just a bunch of old stories that are quaint to hear. Or they might listen to it once a week for part of an hour and then instantly forget all of it and leave it all behind without even a thought. Or 
They might just pick out a few encouraging verses to get them through their day and ignore all of the rest of what the Word says. And if that is all we have from the Word, the Word will never intrude into our life at all. It will never even possibly cause anger. But if we really come to the Bible quick to hear and slow to speak over it, if we come here really prepared to listen to God's Word, there will be parts that sting There will be parts that meddle in our lives that are likely even to incline us to be angry. So even just in this section, not even looking outside of this, just in the section we've read from James here, the word calls us to put away all filthiness rather than to indulge in it. The word calls us to bridle our tongue rather than to unleash it. The word calls us to be doers of the word rather than hearers only. Those things are likely to cut into us. It does for me. Ouch. It stings a little bit to hear it. James describes this process, this interaction with the word, as being the implanted word. Like a seed in the ground. And you all know that you, you can't plant a seed in the ground unless you first cut into the earth. Unless you dig into it with a trowel or something of that sort. So, so James is now telling us to be slow to anger when the word cuts into us. It's a good thing. A good thing that God is implanting his word here. So if you feel the scripture sting sometimes, if it makes you ouch because it calls out your sin or parts of your life that you would rather not have called out, that's probably a good sign that the Spirit's at work in your heart. We're thankful that God in his word not only needles us, though, The Bible's not full of needles. It is full of water. There is lots of the scripture that's not just a sting, but that that is meant to encourage us, to sustain us, to give us rest, even more than that, that it would be life for us. The implanted word here bears fruit. Juicy fruit. Yummy fruit. It would grow us up into the first fruit, and it also saves your souls. Did you catch that when we read it? This is really important to see, so don't miss this part. It's in, it's in verse, uh, where is it? Verse at the 21, at the end of it. The implanted word is what saves you. It's not that you are the one who saved yourselves by your doing of the word. God is saving you by his implanting of the word. A little bit of relief there. A little good news, a little gospel there. We know, of course, that doing the word is still very important for us. James has put out a lot of ink devoted to this. 
and he's not wasting that ink. It's a detriment to us if we neglect doing the word, and it's a blessing for us if we pursue it. So we want to put our time, attention, efforts into quickening our hearing, slowing our speaking, slowing our anger, building in things like peacemaking and self-control and and forgiving. All of these we want to work toward, but we have to know that all of this is the work of God in those who are in Jesus. It's God's work in you. So Jesus died on the cross to secure our salvation from sin. It's not a hypothetical, it's secured, but he brings that salvation to its full effect in the life of a believer through his implanted word. That's how he saves us. So his word will accomplish this in you. For our part, we are now called to receive his word with meekness. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, I, we, all of us want these sorts of things in us. We recognize our own weaknesses, our tendencies to pursue sin, but Lord, Would you make us diligent hearers of your word? Give us ears to do this. Water us with the word of your spirit. Would you cause us to receive it with meekness? Plant your word in us that we would be quick hearers and slow speakers that bring you praise as the savior of sinners. Thank you. And we do praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.